last one of the year. Um, so I won't, won't be back until Jeremiah until next year. I always like saying that. But. All right, well, let me open our time together uh, with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do uh, thank you for how um, patiently uh, you teach us. Um, you give us uh, both word and sacrament so that we might hear and see uh, your good news, that we might uh, know of our Savior Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for sin and also um, see it uh, as we partake of it, uh, see the bread broken uh, and the cup of his blood uh, uh, symbolized before us, uh, the good news of how uh, we take in uh, his righteousness um, and he takes our sin upon himself and that uh, he takes um, our filthy rags of our own righteousness away from us and clothes us in um, pure white, um, the white uh, of his righteousness and uh, his uh, loveliness. Lord, we thank you for um, your prophet Jeremiah, that he too uh, spoke to his people in word and deed. And we pray that we would not be like the people of Judah um, who shun that word um, through our selfish pride, uh, but that we would repent and turn to you. Uh, teach us this morning, uh, we pray. May the same spirit that spoke through the prophet uh, speak to us uh, as we talk of your word uh, together this morning. And we ask all these things uh, in the matchless name of Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 13. Um, and before I read and while you turn there, uh, let me just uh, briefly recap some of what we talked about last week. So last week, you'll remember chapter 12 started off uh, with Jeremiah's uh, uh, um, giving a complaint before God and sort of uh, as we often do, and as the psalmist and Job, you know, why do good things happen to bad people? Um, so we saw in chapter 12 some of Jeremiah's uh, confidence in God, but also the questionings uh, that, that comes from that trust in God's sovereignty and goodness. Um, God didn't give uh, Jeremiah's complaint uh, an explanation but he did give an answer, and we saw the kind of multiple parts of that answer. One, uh, reminding Jeremiah of the, the relative ease of his situation at that moment compared to what was coming. And so this um, uh, emphasis on Jeremiah preparing himself for endurance for the race he was about to run. Uh, and then God um, says, you're not suffering anything that I myself have not uh, endured, for just as uh, Jeremiah's family had plotted against him, um, that uh, was um, a pale reflection of what God endured from his people who conspired against him. Um, the family's rejection of Jeremiah sprang directly from the nation's rejection of Jeremiah's God. Um, and then uh, Jeremiah turns to the, this idea that the people deserve their judgment because they had rejected their God. 
Uh, and then we had that surprise moment. Uh, nevertheless, in the midst of judgment, God also promised restoration and uh, hope, not just for Judah, but for all the nations of the earth. Uh, the house of Judah would be rescued from their exile. God would show compassion on the wicked nations and bring them uh, into Jerusalem. Um, God was not bringing about the judgment as swiftly as Jeremiah might have wished, but God's perfect plan would bring a redemptive future beyond what Jeremiah could have imagined. So in chapter 13, as we turn there and, and read, we'll see the first of several symbolic actions that Jeremiah the prophet will perform uh, to kind of give a living parable um, of, of God's word to the people so the people can, might see the truth of God's word, but we'll also see how the sinful pride uh, of the people of Judah blind them to the truth of God's warning, um, which will resort, result in exile uh, that... Um, we'll see described in the latter part of chapter 13. So hear now the word of God from Jeremiah chapter 13. Thus says the Lord to me, go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise. Go to the Euphrates and hide it there in the cleft of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the loincloth that I command you, commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it, and behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words and who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. You shall speak to them this word, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every jar shall be filled with wine. And they will say to you, Do we not indeed know that every jar will be filled with wine? Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of the land, the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will dash them one against another, fathers and sons together, declares the Lord. I will not pity or spare or have compassion that I should not destroy them. Hear and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness, before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains. And while you look for light, he turns it into gloom and makes it deep darkness. But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. 
My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Say to the king and queen mother, take a lowly seat for your beautiful crown has come down from your head. The cities of the Negev are shut up with none to open them. All Judah is taken into exile, wholly taken into exile. Lift up your eyes and see those who come from the north. Where is your flock that was given you, your beautiful flock? What will you say when they, they set as head over you, those whom you yourself have taught to be friends to you? Will not pangs take hold of you like those of a woman in labor? And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? It is for the greatness of your iniquity that your skirts are lifted up and you suffer violence. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. I will scatter you like chaff driven by the wind from the desert. This is your lot, the portion I have measured out to you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. I myself will lift up your skirts over your face and your shame will be seen. I have seen your abominations, your adulteries and names, your lewd whorings on the hills and the field. Woe to you, O Jerusalem! How long will it be before you are made clean? Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it uh, as we speak of it together this morning. All right, so I'm having a little trouble uh, phrasing my first question. Um, when I was reading this, the, especially this first uh uh, you know, first um, seven verses when we're seeing this uh, God giving uh, Jeremiah this command, uh, my basic question is this, huh? <laughs> what? Uh, what's, what's going on um, in, in this, the, you know, these first 11 verses um, with the loincloth and the Euphrates and yeah, uh, help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there is some, like, the word can either refer to uh, underwear, uh, as Dave um, mentioned, or it can also uh, refer to um, kind of like an outward sash that you would wear. Um, so, it, so it's a little unclear, um, but I, I think the basic idea, though, is, uh, yes, this is um, a, a, an item that um, we might shop for in the intimates section of Macy's. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so it's, it, it's um, a garment that, um, you know, is, is closely identified uh, to, to the wearer, um, so that there is that, um, even if it's not underwear, um, it is, you know, it's an intimate garment in that sense. Yeah, uh, Ronnie.
Yeah, and, and again, like, I, I think you're right. Um, attention grabbing is, is like, and with symbolic actions, um, most symbolic actions um, are, they're intended to be attention grabbing. Like, like, like the symbolic action is something that should be noticeable. Um, you know, because that's the point. <laughs> like, you know, if it was something that nobody would notice, like, the message isn't going to get through. Uh, symbolic actions should make us think, man, Jeremiah's a little screwy in that. <laughs> like, um, like uh, my, my favorite symbolic action is uh, Ezekiel. Like, God commands Ezekiel to shave off his, his hair and beard and separate it into thirds set one third on fire, hit the other third with a sword, and throw the third third up in the air. And like, like he's doing this, and people are like, woohoo. Um, so, so yeah, so um, it's definitely um, in, intended to, to present a very striking picture. And I do think, we'll, we'll get to the, the latter half in a little bit, but I do think there are ties. Um, and what Ronnie's referring to, all this imagery about lifting up skirts, um, that's the Old Testament euphemism for sexual assault. Um, so uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's referring to rape later in the chapter. So, which again is a very jarring portrait that uh, God is painting of this coming exile. So the, just as the prophet's action is very jarring, so too uh, will be what happens to Jerusalem and Judah. Teresa, you had your hand up. Yeah, completely useless. And that's the word, like, you know, behold, it was spoiled. It was good for nothing. Like, you know, like sometimes you can repurpose things, like, there, there are all kinds of things in the Barry household that get, you know, once they've worn out from their original purpose, get used for something else. <laughs> um, but in this case, it's completely spoiled. It's good for nothing. It's ruined. Um, we'll, we'll get to that. All right, we're, we're getting there. Uh, Jay. Jay's going to help us get there. Yeah, because, I mean, like, this is a message for Jeremiah, first and foremost, that he's supposed to, like, it requires him to do things. Like, notice the, the, the phrasing here. The Lord says something to, to, like, to Jeremiah, and then Jeremiah does it. Like, so go and buy, so I bought. Uh, take the loincloth, 
and go to the Euphrates. So I went <laughs> and hit it by the Euphrates. So he, he, he has to do stuff. The other thing, like, so, all right, so he's buying this, this linen piece of, of clothing, um, which is expensive. So, like, you know, this is not, like, you know, if it's underwear, it's not Hanes. Like, it's, you know, like, the, you know, upper end kind of stuff. If it's an outer garment, it's something priest wear, so it's going to be noticeable. Um, and I, I do think it's an outer, because, again, the point is for it to be seen. But it's going to be a noticeable purchase, like an expensive purchase that he has to do, and he does it. Then it requires a trip to the Euphrates. That's a round trip of 700 miles. That's going to take three to four months because he's doing it by foot. Um, comes back, and we, we get a pause after many days. <laughs> we don't know how long. Um, God tells him, do the trip again. <laughs> Another 700-mile, three- to four-month round trip to get the loincloth, which, as Teresa noted, is spoiled and useless. So this requires a great deal of effort and investment on the part of, of Jeremiah to, to do this. I mean, this is like equivalent to me telling Jay, you know, go buy some underwear, take it to the Ohio River, walk there, come back, <laughs> then go back and, and dig it back up and bring it back. Like, like it, it's, it involves a tremendous amount of faithful effort on the part of Jeremiah. So whether or not Judah's getting the message you know, through this action, Jeremiah certainly is because like, he's doing it. God tells them to do something, and he's performing what God tells them to do. No matter how, like, and again, symbolic actions often do come across a little bit crazy. Um, so, like, you know, he's not worried about what people are going to think about him when he's doing this. God tells him to do it, and then he's going to do it. Ethan. Um, I think most people take that detail as, like, it's new. Like, just like, you know, you can't return something after you've washed it sometimes. Like, you know, that, that kind of idea. No, you, you wore it, you washed it, you can't return it. Um, so, so it's that, you know, this thing is perfectly new. Jeremiah puts it on, never washes it, you know, brand new, and... Then he takes it and he takes this perfectly brand new, beautiful piece of linen and, and hides it um, by the Euphrates, goes back to get it, and it's completely um, useless. Like, it's completely ruined. So it's not ruined from his usage of it. It's not ruined from, like, you know, washing it too much. <laughs> the spoilage comes completely from its location there by the Euphrates. He, he might be. We, we don't know the timing. They're, 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 
Again, he doesn't give us any specific, unlike, again, once we get to, um, I think it's chapter 23 or 24, somewhere right in there, he starts giving us exact dates of when things are happening. He's not doing that here. There might be an illusion. Um, so in, in verse 18, say to the king and the queen mother, um, this might be a reference to Jehoiakim, not Jehoiakim, <laughs> Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin uh, um, who only reigned three months. Um, so, you know, so if we take the king and queen mother, and the reason people think that might be Jehoiakim is because in um, Second Kings, Jehoiakim uh, is only 18 months or 18 years old when he comes to the throne. He only reigns for three months, um, but his mother is mentioned in the short description of his three-month reign, um, either four times or five times. So, like, so a lot of commentators think like it's into this very, very narrow range, and it. That would be a moment where um, uh, it, it would be about 597. So captives have been taken to Babylon. So because Nebuchadnezzar comes, he captures Jerusalem um, and and takes uh, Jehoiakim um, and uh, and other leading nobles uh, captive um, to Babylon. And then ten years later, he comes back and does it again. And that's the one that like completely destroys Jerusalem. So you kind of have this first like mini captivity. Um, so it could be around that first mini exile or captivity um, when this is happening. But but again, we don't know. Like the timing of it isn't as important as the action itself. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like normally, yeah, anybody could travel. Um, like in a time of war, yeah, travel becomes a little more difficult. Uh, later on, we'll see Jeremiah get arrested um, because he's leaving the city, and so uh, and he's accused of trying to go over to the Babylonians. So um, later on, there will be restrictions on travel. Um, but here, I think the the main point is is on. Um, you know, not the circumstances in which Jeremiah has to travel, but um, the, the act itself. Um, again, to take this perfectly brand new, unwashed garment to the, to the Euphrates, bury it, <laughs> come home, go back at some future date, dig it up, and find that it's ruined. Um, so, so uh, back to Teresa's uh, perfectly logical question, why? Because, <laughs> and this is, like, we don't have to guess what the meaning of this is, um, you know, because God explains it. Like, you know, and people, like, again, with symbolic actions, it's the idea is people uh, are going to ask, like, you know, you've been gone <laughs> for three months. You're left with a brand new piece of linen. Like, where did that go? Um, and then he comes back. You were gone for three more months. Is that the brand new piece of linen? Like, that's worthless. <laughs> that's useless. Um, and that gives opportunity to, 
to, um, to proclaim this kind of, of word. And again, the word is first and foremost, as, as Jay suggested, to Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me, thus says the Lord, even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. So the symbolic action mirrors what God is trying to say about this people, that they were this, you know, garment, as he says, for as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, like it's, it's close, it's intimate, it's tight. That was the relationship I had with my people. Um, but because of their, um, their sinfulness, because they've gone after other gods, because of their stubborn pride, because of their refusal to listen, what has been intimate to me will be worthless. Um, it will be spoiled. Um, and uh, people look at it kind of to the reference to the Euphrates, like why the Euphrates, like, you know, in the Jordan close enough. <laughs> like the, you know, um, there are kind of two ways people look at that. Um, one is kind of past um, because, and we get a hint of this uh, through this worshiping other my people have gone after other gods. Like they, my people have gone after alliances with people around the Euphrates, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. So some people look at it as like a condemnation of past action. Um, other people look at it as like it's a future. Um, this is going to be the humbling of Judah's pride through the exile. So, um, so that's kind of the two, um, the two rationale people. Have, have attached to the significance of the Euphrates in this. Like one, it's, it's judgment for Israel's, uh, or condemnation of Israel's past kind of turning to the nations, and we've seen this in the past couple of chapters. Rather than discipling the nations, they've been discipled by them. Um, rather than trusting in God, they've trusted in allegiances with uh, the Assyrians. Like, um, like uh, even good King Josiah uh, allied himself with the Assyrians in an attempt to defeat the Babylonians and gets killed. Um, so you, you have this kind of um, idea that it's, it's referencing the past and other people, because this chapter has a lot about the exile, say it's looking forward. But the, the message is clear. It's this, the people are evil. <laughs> this evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. takes such root that it's inseparable from the people. And, and that's the image we certainly get um, with this rhetorical question we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. 
you know, in verse 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Like, no. <laughs> the, the answers to those questions are no. The Ethiopian can't change his skin, the leopard can't change his spots. Um, so how can this people who are accustomed to evil do good? Like, and, and the idea is they can't. Um, the evil has become so intrinsically attached to them, it has totally uh, spoiled them, ruined them, um, made them like this garment. Like, so it's a very striking visual image of what has happened to God's people that they are uh, intended to be this bright, beautiful uh, garment that is um, intimately possessed by God, and instead, they, by going to the Euphrates, they've ruined themselves um, uh, and have become thoroughly and completely corrupted by their own stubbornness, their own refusal to listen to God. All right, anything else we want to say ab about the image? I still sort of like say, huh, but again, that's kind of the point. <laughs> uh, these kind of things, they're, they're meant to be just a little on the off, you know, oddball side. Uh, so, so we pay attention and listen and, and, or see and, and, and are prepared to listen. Yeah, Dave. Um, I mean, some people do, like, read it in a political vein, like, and again, it's the way that Israel repeatedly trusted in the nations uh, rather than trusting in God. Um, and um, we, we'll see when we get it in a later book, later in the book, Zedekiah, um, uh, <laughs> Uh, I was listening to a Eugene Peterson book about um, Jeremiah this week, and uh, uh, it, Jer um, Peterson's description of Zedekiah is kind of like stuck in my head. He describes him as a marshmallow. <laughs> like, you know, you, you know, you push him one direction, and like he's, he's very malleable. <laughs> so whatever political wind is blowing, uh, in a particular direction, that's the direction Zedekiah is going to go. So, like, he's put on the throne by the Babylonians to be pro-Babylonian, and he's fine with that. And then the people want an anti-Babylonian, the people of Judah want an anti-Babylonian king. So he's like, okay, we'll do that. And um, and ultimately ends up you know, getting destroyed um, because he's not uh, what God once, and as we've seen God calling Jeremiah to be an iron pillar, like, you know, don't blow with the political winds, um, but, but stay fixed and, and rooted in trust of God. Um, so I, I, I don't think we have to read it politically. I think the, the message itself is the spiritual message of um, this people's constant refusal to, to follow God and instead like either politically trust in other nations or hear the emphasis on religiously trust and all these idols and other things. All right, so he follows the image of the, the ruined loincloth um, with uh, some, some jars of wine. Um, so so we, we follow the symbolic action with this kind of 
parable of the jars of wine. Every jar shall be filled with wine. So what's, what's, what's going on here in this next? Again, another visual picture of, of what God is, is seeing in his people and what's going to happen to them. So what's the point of our, our jars of wine? You're all still stuck on the long cloth, I know. Yeah, Matthew. So it takes a symbol, wine, being this you know symbol of uh, of gracious abundance, and 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 some people think because of how they respond to the saying by kind of like uh, you know of course we know that like this is a saying like you know some kind of proverb you know that that every jar shall be filled with wine like so it's it's taking a good word of abundance. And they're taking it, of course, we know that. Yeah, it's all going to go our way. Everything's going to be great. Um, just as like wine symbolizes uh, the, the good, abundant gifts of God. Wine also has another <laughs> symbolism. Um, wine is often used as describing uh, the cup of God's wrath. Um, you know, that it's, it's outpouring of destruction. Um, and here, as, as Matthew said, like it's their overindulgence um, is going to lead to their destruction. And, and some people, again, kind of read this as maybe this was another symbolic action that, that Jeremiah is literally smashing together jars of wine um, to, to illustrate this point, whether he did it or not. It's a visual picture of... Um, these, these jars of wine being dashed together. And, and notice, uh, you know, um, as Matthew said, it's the self-destructiveness. Um, you know, fathers and sons uh, declares the Lord, one against another. The, the idea, like, they, they're, it's self-destruction. Um, it's the, you know, God, um, it's God's judgment um, that he's, pouring out on them, but it's their, they're experiencing it as their own self-destruction. Like, you know, they, they have, uh, you know, drunkenly destroyed themselves. <laughs> it's one bashing against the others, the idea. Like, um, you know, I, I will dash, it's God doing it, I will dash them one against the other, fathers and sons together, uh, declares the Lord, I will not pity or have compassion that I should uh, that I should not destroy them. Like so, he's saying, it's you know, it's this like just like you smash a jar of wine, um, like there's no salvaging it. Like like it's like completely ruined. Um, 
Well, I mean, it has that image. Like, it's, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of the land. Um, and so, like, it, it's giving it the picture both ways. Like, God is using their, um, their sinful overindulgence to destroy themselves. So it's God doing it. But it, there's also this picture of their doing it themselves. Chris, you had your hand. And I, lots of what you said there, there, Chris. And this, like, it's the, the way the New Testament's going to describe, like, you know, our, our, our self-righteousness. Like, like, you know, the way Paul talks about, like, you know, in chapter 3 of Philippians. Like, you know, all the things that I had put my trust in and thought I was good with God. And then trash. <laughs> uh, you know, when seen from God's perspective, he sees how useless, worthless it is. He's peeled back the, the layers of the onion, as you said, to show what's really in, in the heart. Um, and yeah, what, what, you're, what, what they're doing in this 
drunken fit, as you say, is a manifestation of what was already there. Um, and it's the restraints have been have pulled pulled away. Um, there is no restraint, um, and and their destruction is the logical consequence of what was already within them. Um, and it's again that image to go back to the loincloth, like our righteousness is filthy rags um, compared to God's perfect standard of of justice and righteousness. Um, well, I mean, I think it's like if you think of your, uh, you know, like he's likened them to jars of wine. So <laughs> it's that idea of, you know, breaking these jars of wine in, into pieces, like dashing by dashing them together. Like, um, so, uh, so I think it's, you know, that's the, the picture of the complete and total destruction that's on its way. Um, like this is what's going to happen to them, as as we'll see in a couple um, verses. Um, you know, uh, the the exile, like he he's describing it as total, like you know, it's it's complete, it's whole, um, it's it, you know, there there is no there is no salvaging the smashed jar of wine. Um, so it's been dashed. So it's. Yeah, and the idea is like, if they're doing this in a situation of abundance, what are they going to do when they're cooped up in Jerusalem for two years? <laughs> it's like, you know, like you know, if it's a family that like a dysfunctional family that, um, like, yeah, like like in in good times, like are are dysfunctional. Uh, what's going to happen when? Like they're all shut in the same house <laughs> together. Like it, the destruction is going to be complete. For some reason, so I'll say it because when these things pop into my head, I, I always think God's putting it in my head for a reason. I read an article this week about um, a guy. Oh, I can't remember his name, but he did uh, an experiment with rats, and he basically created a rat paradise. Put in his, you know, Adam and Eve. Um, and like every possible thing a rat could desire uh, was there for them. Um, and it, you know, the colony like grew and grew and grew and grew and then destroyed itself. <laughs> like every time, like uh, over time, like it, it, it always ended in disaster. Like nothing changed, like <laughs> they still had all the abundant stuff, everything a rat could desire. Um, 
but but over time, like the colony like consumed itself <laughs> in a sense. Like you know, the rats couldn't get along with so many other rats. Like you know, and and I think that's kind of the picture here. Like you you put a bunch of sinners together, and eventually they're going to turn on each other. Because um, uh, as Chris said, like if What's in their heart in abundant times that maybe they're whispering under their breath and hard times is gonna, you know, is gonna come out to the forefront. Um, and the hard times are coming and the second half of the chapter, um, which we have to do in 10 minutes, <laughs> um, focuses on, like if you have an ESV, it, it, um, it gives you the headline, exile threatened. Um, so, what is the, the predominant sin that Jeremiah is focusing on here that leads to exile? So as we read the, the latter part of this chapter, um, what is, um, what is the, the sin that's causing Jeremiah to weep so much for his people? Pride, absolutely. Notice how, it, how often it's repeated. Um, you know, you know their, their pride... Uh, hear, hear, and give ear. Be not proud. Um, you know, you will not listen. My soul will weep in secret for your pride. And it, it's repeated multiple times. Like, so what is it um, about um, pride that, um, yeah, kind of to go back in the theme as Chris and Mike were talking about, like, what is it about pride that... Um, it is so evil and so deserving of this coming exile. Yeah, it's that complete selfishness, much like Chris and Mike were just talking about. Like, you know, it's the, you know, I want what I want, so I'll take it from someone else, or I'll pursue it to someone else's harm. Um, so that, that complete self-absorption um, uh, is, is involved in that, that sin of pride. Why else? Or what else makes pride um, so horrible? I love how you said that, Dave. They cut themselves off from the source of, source of truth. Um, and, and notice in verse um, 15 and 16, like the, that's the idea. Hear and give ear, be not proud, um, for the Lord has spoken. So like they, they've cut themselves off from the source of truth, which is God's word, God speaking. So part of the sin of pride is they don't think they need. God. They don't think they need to listen to God. They don't need to hear. Like they've got what, what they, I'm good. I,
I, yeah, I, I know all I need to know. I've got it all together. Uh, I don't need uh, to listen to God. Um, and the, 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 we're kind of given the quality that instead of um, pride, this prideful um, not listening, um, give glory to the Lord your God. Like, so the, like, be not proud is, so don't do this, be not proud, do this, give glory to God. Like, so, so it is fundamentally about this orientation. Like, rather than piling glory on yourself, give that glory to God. But yeah, and th this idea of like, you know, selfishly doing something. And I love how um, uh, Paul in Philippians talks about how Jesus acted the complete opposite picture of this. He was deserving of all the glory. <laughs> like, it was his. Like, if anybody had right to be proud, but, like, but rather than selfishly cling to that, you know, he veiled that in flesh. Um, as our Christmas carol um, sings. And instead, instead gave that glory to where it goes, to God. Like, you know, and, and God glorifies him. Like so, like, so he humbles himself and God glorifies him. And, and that's the model um, of, you know, Paul uses that, you know, Christ, like, don't do anything out of selfish, vain conceit. Instead, have a mind like that of Christ, who did not think glory with God something to be selfishly clung to, but um, emptied himself, making it take by taking flesh upon him. Like so, it's this beautiful picture of the opposite of how we act, which is um, out of this stubborn pride that causes Jeremiah to to weep. Um, uh, that. Uh, over this coming exile, like, like he sees it coming, and he's warning the people, and their pride will not let them listen. Um, and and that, if that's not a warning to all of us, I, I need to like <laughs> uh, reframe things maybe. But like, like that is the same trap that that we can fall into. That we, well, you know pat ourselves on the back. As Dave says, I know all I need to know. Uh, you know, I, I'm good. I'm in a good position in life. Like, you know, what? And we neglect giving glory to God and, and giving due attention to God. We neglect care of our neighbor and instead absorb ourselves in ourselves. Mike, you had your hand. Savior. Uh... 
Yeah, and that's our same, we have the same tendency. And, and notice, like, you have to purpose to remember. Like, remember is, remembering is not a passive thing. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, remembering is not the natural process. The natural process is forgetting. <laughs> um, what did I read yesterday? Ah, I can't remember. <laughs> um, you know, so you, you have to purpose to remember because the, you know, our, our tendency as, as human beings is to forget. And as we forget, like, we start, like, you know, how did I get on third base? <laughs> like, well, I must have hit a triple <laughs> uh, kind of idea. Like, we, we start exalting our, ourselves when we forget the God who's given us all these good gifts and things. Um, and as you say, like, Jeremiah is not preaching, like, new news. Um, this is coming straight out of Deuteronomy. And as he's talking about the exile, he's describing the exile in exactly the same kind of terms that um, God said, which makes the people's question, you know, and if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? Like, they're like, why is this happening? Like, they're, like it's a surprise. Like, why should this bad stuff be happening for me? And, and the response is, is it, it is for the greatness of your iniquity. Like, their iniquity has reached this point that it's inevitably going to come upon them. Like, and, you know, he follows that question, why have you, these things come upon me, with the, you know, the rhetorical question and response. Can the Ethiopian change his spots or the leopard is, or can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard is spots? Like, no. <laughs> like, the evil you have done has brought the consequences, and just as these animals can't, um, remove these characteristic things of who they are, sin has become so attached to them that the judgment is inevitably going to befall them um, in God's righteous punishment and judgment of their sin. All right, any last thoughts on, on this chapter before I close this in prayer? Yeah, Chris.
Yeah, the leopard can't change his spots, but God can. Uh, you know, like, you know, who can take my sin away from me? I can, but God can. Um, and he can do the heart surgery that's required to bring deliverance. And he can take that pride. And, and as you say, it is like, and the thing that, that's so insidious about pride is it, it, it often strikes in abundance, like, you know, like in, in the midst of abundance, like when things are going well, that is often when pride, uh, you know, takes its deepest roots at that moment where, as you say, like, I, I think I've got it all together. Um, you know, I've got it all together materially or I've got it all together spiritually. No matter what, what you know, you think you've got a hold of, like, it's in the midst of, uh, of success um, that, as you say, is really gift. Like, it's taking God's gift and, and uh, assuming it as deserved rather than as, as, as gift. Um, and uh, which, which is that's how we have to live. We have to live as recipients of this great gift of God, which is his son that, you know, took our spoiled uh, righteousness and, and our sin, you know, spoiled by our sin and, and clothed us in garments made white by his shed blood, um, like that's the picture we're, we're given, as you say, in the New Testament of this beautiful exchange uh, that takes place, the beautiful gift that we've received. Everything, like all of life, is a gift from God. But the gospel is, is the story of, of God's ultimate gift to us, which is the, the remedy, um, you know, the, the perfect remedy to our prideful, stubborn, uh, rooted sinfulness. All right, well, let me close this uh, in prayer. Thank you, God, um, for uh, how you um, have uh, entered into a covenant uh, with us, but you've also um, taken our part of the covenant by uh, giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And though, uh, just like um, Judah and Jerusalem, uh, our actions, um, our, our best actions are uh, worthless, um, compared to the, your perfect standards. Um, uh, we, we are in need, um, and we too, like them, uh, can be destroyed um, by ourselves, um, being prideful, um, by refusing to listen to your word. So we pray that you would give us ears to hear uh, and eyes to see, even as we uh, hear your word and, your, and, and see your sacrament. Uh, on the table uh, in the coming hour. Lord, uh, continue to work uh, in us. Help us each and every moment to, to remember our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, to give him glory rather than try to achieve glory for ourselves. Help us to um, live uh, seeking to honor him uh, in our lives, uh, in, in our relationships, uh, not just with you, but with one another, that we would together uh, build one another up uh, into the people you have called us to be by the power of your Holy Spirit and the good news of your gospel working in and through us. Uh, we pray all these things in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, by the power of your most Holy Spirit. Amen. All right.